0: There's something God wants to do, and, and I'm, a, I'm a teacher, so you give me an idea and I'll put some ideas together, I'll dig into the Word and I'll come up with an outline and something, but there's some things I can't make happen. I've been married 52 years and a long, while ago I learned there's some things I can't make happen. And so there's things you just can't make happen because there's things only God can do. And, 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 but we're often slow to come to that place. We wanted, and pastors are notorious for this. We have committees, we have programs. we go to seminars to find out how this guy did it. We go to seminars over here to find out this guy did it, and then we come back and try to apply it here and it doesn 't work because that 's not how it worked over there. The, the long story I heard years ago, and i 've shared it before. Uh, Dr. Cho has the wonderful church in Seoul Korea, about seven hundred and fifty thousand active members, and um, uh, he there was a young Doctorate graduate or student at Fuller Seminary uh, doing his dissertation for his doctorate degree on church growth. And so he went over and spent a week with Dr. Cho following around. Now, this young man was not spirit filled, and Dr. Cho is a very diminutive, very humble man. And uh, he just followed him around for a week, watched what he did, and uh, amazing things would happen. We had people we met on a cruise on our 25th anniversary. That were his. Uh, that were uh, the the regional, uh, the the East, the Asian directors for the AG missions, and it dawned on me his church is AG. I said, Is he under you? They said, Yeah, he's under us. And they said, You go to his office, and it's like being in the president's office. All of a sudden, doors open up, security guards come in, he's ushered out to a limousine and taken to maybe meet with the president of South Korea. So this is a but a very humble man. So this young student followed him around. And at the the last day, Dr. Cho very graciously took him to lunch. And he said, well, young man, what did you learn this week? And the student looked at him and says, I can't figure out how you do it. I can't figure out how you did this. You don't do anything. And yet this big church has been built. What is your secret? And Dr. Cho, in his very humble style, says, young man, it's very simple. I pray and I obey. And the student looked at him and kind of shook his head and decided to write on somebody else. He didn't get it. He was looking for the secret, the program. What do you do? And when it comes to doing the things of God, we cannot do it without God. And God cannot do it without us. And that applies especially to prayer. Because we can say prayers... We can come together on the first Wednesday night of the month and we can have a theme and we can say prayers together. You can get up in the morning or whenever it is you pray because I assume you do pray and you can say prayers and there are all kinds of books on prayers and patterns of prayers and whatever helps you pray, that's wonderful. But unless God connects with us in this prayer, it doesn't do much. It's not effective, and it's not alive to us. So the reason more people don't come to the prayer meetings, in fact, the wonderful book by Pastor Jim Cimbala, uh, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, uh, is about one of the statements he makes in there is the measure of the spiritual health of a church is not the attendance on Sunday morning. It's not how high people jump when the praise and worship team's clapping. It's not how far on their face people fall. It's how many people attend the prayer meeting. Because a prayer meeting is where you don't get something out of it. A prayer meeting is where you give. And a prayer meeting only comes alive when the Spirit of God connects with us in prayer. And that's what we desperately need. We need the Spirit of God to engage with us in prayer. And, and the pattern that I see in the Bible, and we talked a little bit about this last week, the pattern I see in the Bible of where the Spirit of God is able to move and make himself real to people, is when people realize how much they need him. Because as long as we think we can do it, we don't need him. And we may sing songs, your presence is welcome here, all night long, but if that's not the desperate cry of our heart, he's here, but he can't manifest himself because we really don't need him. There's a verse in in, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, it's in Matthew 7. Where Jesus makes this astounding statement, Ask and you will receive. Period. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. And I did a series years ago on just ask and you shall receive. There's no conditions there. Ask and you shall receive. And that's either true or it's not true. Well, the reason it's not happening for most of our lives and most of our hearts is we're not really asking. Say, but, but Pastor, I've asked all kinds of things. The word ask there is a Greek word that doesn't mean say words of asking for something. It's a cry of the heart out of desperation. And I've found in my life when I get to the place where I am desperate and I'm just crying out to God, I've always gotten an answer. Sometimes you've got to be desperate to get to that place. And the problem is we're so content with the way things are going that we don't, we don't see the desperate need we have for the presence of God in our services, the presence of God in our worship, the presence of God when we preach, the presence of God when we come together to pray, the presence of God when we do anything together. Because Jesus said, where two or more of you gathered in my name, there am I in our midst. So I see the pattern in the Bible of, of where, God, where God begins to come in and to move is when we get honest about where we are. And I began to talk about that a little last week. Just get honest about where we are. God knows, but it's when we try to pretend for our own sake or for each one of our sakes where we are that God can't really move in that area. As Jesus told, was dealing with this in the Pharisees, he said it's only the sick that need a physician. He was basically chiding them because they didn't think they needed a savior because they were so good at keeping the law. And Jesus came and ministered to people that were prostitutes, that were beggars, that were publicans, then Republicans, and that were, um, that were tax collectors. The people that the religious people looked down on, but those people knew they were sinners. They knew they needed a savior. They knew they needed, they knew it. The Pharisees needed it, but they didn't recognize it. So they didn't ask for it and they didn't receive it when it came. Well, the same way the Holy Spirit's here to help us to pray. To help us to pray together especially, but unless we really, really see our need for Him, we're not open. We don't depend upon Him. So what I want to just very briefly talk to us about tonight is that that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to come and be honest with Him. There's a scripture in the Old Testament, I referred to it last week, and we're not going to put it up there, but it's in 2 Chronicles 20, when Jehoshaphat is the king of Israel, king of Judah. Uh wakes up and there's three armies bearing down on him and they're panicked. And and I love the one verse that says, And Joshua was, was afraid. You know, we're taught we shouldn't be afraid, but, but when the when the bad bad report comes or when the threat hits you immediately, fear is often the first answer. It's what do you do then? So then he decided to turn to the Lord and ask him what to do. And they they prepared, they took a day of fasting, and they they just began to come together, and they cried out to God. And what Jehoshaphat started out doing is saying, you know, Lord, we don't know what to do. This armies are bearing down on us, and we don't have the strength, we don't have the ability, and we don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. Here's the leader of the nation, the king, that everybody looked up to as having the answers— and he was willing to admit to God, I don't know what to do, but I'm looking to you because you have the answer. And God spoke through a prophet and gave him a strategy for victory in that place. We looked last week at the, at, um, at the early disciples and when they gathered together, when the Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts chapter 2. But that begins in that chapter and it ends in chapter 1 where they were gathered together because they didn't know what to do. The last instruction Jesus had was for them to wait for something that he told them was going to endue them with power from on high. But they had no idea what that was. They'd never seen it before. They'd seen it operate through him, but they'd never, they, they didn't know what they were waiting for. But he had said, wait. All they knew is they had been given a commission, and they didn't have the ability to carry it out. They knew they needed help. They knew that, and Jesus said, it's going to come from on high. And when they came together long enough together at the right time, at the appointed time, the Holy Spirit fell on them with the Holy Spirit of power, but also the Holy Spirit of fire. Jesus said, he will come and baptize you. John baptized you with water, but the Holy Spirit will baptize you with fire, the fire of the Holy Spirit. Fire in our prayers. Fire in our witnessing. Fire in our relationship with one another. Fire that cleanses us and cleanses and purges out all the impurities. You know, we pray this prayer for revival from 2 Chronicles uh, 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 7.14. If my people are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. Yeah, we got that part. And then, But the next thing he says, and turn from their wicked ways. You don't hear a lot about that. Then he jumps over the turn from our wicked ways and repenting to, and I will hear from heaven and I will hear their land. But I don't want to get off on this. But we need the Holy Spirit to purify us. Not that we're bad people, not that we don't love the Lord, but there are things in our lives, there are attitudes in our hearts, there are things in your heart and my heart that only God can know and only the fire of the Holy Spirit can show that to us and burn it out of us because we don't have the power in many ways to get rid of some of those things that are in our heart. Maybe it's unforgiveness, maybe it's resentment. Maybe it's just a stinking attitude that you don't even know you have. But those are things that interfere with the purity of God flowing through this because He is a holy God. He is a holy God. And He can only flow through holy vessels. And I know we're the righteousness of God in Christ. That's the position that God's placed us in in Christ. But we can be holy people in Christ with stinking attitudes, selfishness, pride, envy, jealousy. Those things that are remnants of us, still of our old fallen nature, that it takes the Holy Spirit to burn those things out of us. So he wants to come and do those things. And I, I believe that part of what he wants to do is start here on Wednesday night. Start here on Wednesday night. Because you're people that come not to do a religious duty. You come because there is a hunger in you for God. And, and that hunger God put in you. God put in you. I want to look at a scripture in Hebrews chapter 4 because it really talks about this attitude in verse 15 right before this it's talked about that we have a high priest who's faithful verse 15 for we we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses So he knows we have weaknesses. We have weaknesses in our prayer life. We have weaknesses in our attitude sometimes. We have weaknesses in our discipline. We have all kinds we all have weaknesses. Right? Because if you don't think you have a weakness, that's your weakness. All right? We all have weaknesses. And Jesus See, we wanna we, we wanna believe we're we want to come to church and present a good image to ourselves, a good image to our neighbors, and a good image to God. And what helps us to grow is when we're honest with Him. But honesty begins with ourselves. God already knows your weaknesses, it's being willing to face ours. So we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. In English, that's a double negative. And if you remember from your English class, a double negative in English is a positive. So what that's saying is we have a high priest who can sympathize with, feel along with our weaknesses, was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So he knows the things we struggle with, yet he overcame the sin. And as a result, verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may receive grace to help, The throne of grace that we may save mercy. Slow down, John. Therefore, let us come boldly. The word boldly there is an interesting word. The word boldly doesn't mean just barge in. The word boldly there means holding nothing back. It means. Do you ever know somebody just they say whatever's on their mind? They're not concerned about what you may think about it. They just blurt it out. That's what this word means. It means not being worried about what God's going to think about you. It's not worrying about how it's going to sound. It's like a child coming to their father or their mother. They just, whatever's in their mind or heart, it just comes out. Whether it's at home in your privacy or out in the mall, whatever's in there just comes out. Whether it's embarrassing or not, it just comes out. That's what that word boldly means. So let us come with confidence to just speak our heart and our mind honestly and sincerely to a throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Well, we have a need here when it comes to prayer. We have a need here when it comes to prayer. We have a need to be set on fire when it comes to prayer. We have a need to have a passion in our hearts when it comes to prayer. We have a need to have the Holy Spirit take hold of us and what some of the old timers called a spirit of prayer to take hold of us. And so we can come boldly to God tonight and admit where we are. We're, we're lukewarm in our prayer life. And, and Jesus talked to a church that was lukewarm. And lukewarm means you're neither hot nor cold. And, and, and when you're cold, you know you're cold. When you're hot, you know you're hot. When you're lukewarm, you don't know what you are. You're just comfortable. And Jesus is addressing a church that's comfortable, and he's not mad at it. He says, I love you. That's why I'm addressing you, but I'm telling you what you need to do. You need to repent of where you are. You need to face and be honest of where you are. And so there are many things we do well in this church, I believe. There are some things we do that are better than others. But one of the real weaknesses that we have as a church, and we shared this last week, is our corporate prayer life together. You may be praying 24 hours a day at home, but as a church... We don't know how to come together and truly pray effectively. And we have to learn how to do that, and we can't teach ourselves. We need the Holy Spirit to teach us. And the beginning of that is being honest about where we are. And as your pastor, I'm just trying to start by being as honest with you as I know how. This is an area where we've got to grow and change, and we cannot do it. By ourselves. So, what do we do? We come boldly to a throne of grace. God's not angry at us, and we come boldly to get mercy. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve, and to receive grace to help us in the time of this need. I want to look at two things in the Old Testament uh, that, that 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 kind of give us a picture of of what we want to see happen. Uh, One of them, they're not, I didn't give them the scriptures for this, but it's in 2 Kings chapter 6 and 7, which is where uh, uh, King Solomon, David's son, has, has built this fabulous temple, amazing temple, if you go through and read what's in it. And that they have this enormous dedication ceremony where thousands of oxen are, are slaughtered and all kinds of praise and worship is going on. And all of those are in, in are, are part of the traditions uh, or the, the, the instructions of worship in the Old Testament, the Old Testament style of worship. But they're singing praises to God and they're singing, for the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. And, and, and at, at the point of it reaches this crescendo, there's a there's a cloud that begins to roll in the place. And it's not a, it's not a smoke machine like some churches use today as a substitute for the glory cloud of God. It's the presence, the tangible presence of God. The Bible talks about different aspects of God's presence. There's a there's the the universal presence. God is everywhere. God is omnipresent. And the devil's not. the devil's in one place at one time, the demons are in one place at one, the angels are one place. But God is omnipresent. God's everywhere all at once. So God's in this room. He's, he can, you can't get away from his presence. But there's another thing the Bible talks about, which is his manifest presence, which is a presence that our senses can tell, that, that, that impacts our physical senses and gives us a, a, a knowledge of God's presence beyond just faith. And beyond just a spiritual presence, we can actually sense his presence with our physical senses. And that's what this is. Moses was in God's physical presence on the mountain. So much that when he came down off the mountain and later when God's presence was in the temple, the the, the tent of the meeting, and he would come out, his face, the skin on his face would glow with radiation from being in the physical presence of the glory of God. That was a manifest presence of God. God came down on Mount Sinai in front of the people of Israel in fire and thunder. That was a, a, a manifestation of God. God has many different manifestations of his character and his presence. Sometimes it's a cloud that rolls in. Sometimes it's, it's a sweet fragrance. Sometimes it's the power of God coming down like it was on Mount Sinai. But it's something where everybody can tell it's been there. I remember hearing John Bevere. Some of you know who he is. He's been here a number of years ago, several times actually and he's written a number of great books. And I heard him tell a testimony when he was in Brazil, I think it was. And he was speaking at this large uh, r- r- conference, Holy Spirit conference. And he said, I was standing in this huge arena, I guess was a, uh, a where they do football or what we call soccer. And uh, was, it was open air. And he said, you know, it was the speakers before me were giving nice messages, but people were walking back and forth to the concession stands. So they were coming in with a hot dog and a Coke listening to this message on the Holy Spirit. And he said, it grieved me inside. And I didn't know what to do. He said, so I just got up there, and I was the next speaker. So people went out and got a Coke and came in with their hot dog, and they sat there and waiting for, he said, I just stood there. i thought the Lord tell me, just stand there. And slowly but surely, people realized nobody was speaking. And slowly but surely, they had his attention. And he began to just speak by the Spirit what was going on. And he said, as he was in the middle of speaking it, he said, I began to hear a roar. It started on the outside, and it began to flow in here and swirl around. It was like the roar of a, of a, of a jet engine at an airport about la- when they take off or when they're landing and they reverse the, the thrusters on the engine. And he goes, rawr. I live on the other si- I live in Barrington on the opposite side of the bay from, from Green Airport. I can hear them land on certain days. Is that loud, coming across the bay. And so uh, uh, that's what this was like. Oh, thank you, Danny. It was just a place order. I, I can give it to you if you want to notice it. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and he said, the amazing roar. And he said, at, when the service was over, he said, well, I was in a limousine going back to the hotel, and we were all talking about this. And, and, and the, the people in the sound booth said, it was almost deafening. He said, but the interesting thing is that it never showed in the view meter. There's a meter back there that registers the decibels of the sound. It, never, it didn't show up any sound. Wow. Wow. So it was a sound people heard with their ears, but there was no sound in the airwaves. That's a tangible manifestation of the presence of God. And God wants to do that. What's been impressed on me lately is God wants to manifest Himself more than we want to see Him. God wants to anoint our prayers more than we want them anointed. Because what Spirit led prayer is, what Spirit fired prayer is, is a connection together with God. It's an intimacy with together with God together. It's not just you experiencing it, a mere experience, it's when we experience it together. And God the Father longs to be experienced that way. He wants to be experienced. I was praying in here in the Spirit for a while this morning, and then I was praying Psalm 34, and there's a verse in there which says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. God wants to show His goodness. He wants to manifest His goodness. We're living in such a dark world. God wants to show off Himself with His love and His compassion and His goodness. But He's got to do it through us, and we've got to taste it. Before that, you now if we just get a taste of that, we won't be able to contain it in here. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. What they were tasting of God—nobody, nobody had a program to go knock on the doors. Nobody had a program to go reach out. They couldn't hold. You can't contain God when you begin to experience Him. You can't hold Him in when you begin to experience the fire of God, the love of God, the power of God. You can't contain Him in four walls. You can't contain Him. And the fact that we can contain Him right now means. We're not really exper- That doesn't mean we don't have a relationship with Him. That doesn't mean you don't know Him. That doesn't mean that we're bad people. That, that there's more that God has for us. So we can't be content with, and that's what God's stirring in me. A spirit of discontentment, which is a, a holy discontentment. To not be content where we are. To not be content. I, I can't go on the way we are. And we've, God's done great things here, good things. But I, if this is all we're here to do, then, then we failed. Because God's preserved this church for 40 years through many different trials and many different snares, many different things. He's preserved this church. He's done amazing things to do this church. This church shouldn't still exist with some of the things that have happened. But here we are. People have come and gone, all kinds of things, but the church is here. The presence of God's here. The Word of God's still here. And I cannot believe God's done all that just to stay where we are just to maintain where we are when there's a world out there that is going to hell quickly this next generation doesn't stand a chance unless god does something it doesn't stand a chance i mean we stood a chance in my generation at least some basic things of morality were built into us at least many of us were were at least trained to go to church we at least knew who god was we at least heard who jesus was but there's a generation out there that doesn't know who he is that has no concept of who he is there's a generation out there and it's not just that they're ignorant of him they're living in a world that is saturated with just the opposite ask, uh, message just the opposite uh of philosophies the philosophies that are out there are horrible there's i was reading some things about them today the the, the underlying philosophy is is not just anti-god it's That we don't need God. There is no God. It's that man is nothing but twitching meat. And one of the philosophers that's driving this in our educational system believes that parents should have 30 days after a child's born to decide whether that child ought to live or not. Because that child's not a person, it's just something useful to society. That's what's being taught. And the church doesn't know that because we're not involved in that. We see fringes of it like the book that I was told that was banned in East Providence because it mentions God three times. And somebody spent $100,000 to buy the books and now they can't use them or something like that, some astronomical amount, because it says God three times. the G-O-D. Not Jesus. God. And we can't do that. This generation does not Stand a chance. Unless God does something. They're saturated with social media messages at them. They're being attacked by other friends, quote-unquote friends, who are bullying them because there's no accountability face-to-face. There's a loneliness out there. The irony is, with with a device that that you have hundreds of friends, teenagers are desperately lonely... And committing suicide because their life has no meaning, because somebody unfriended them. Satan has a hold of this generation, but God wants to rescue them and deliver them, but it's not it. We, we cannot come up with a program here to do that. I don't care if we were 10,000 strong, because it's got to reach into their hearts. It's got to cut through the media. It's got to cut through the demonic hold and message that Satan has on this generation. But God's grace is sufficient. But it's going to take the power of God and it's going to take prayer that's effectual. It's going to take this this generation, this plight of this generation, touching the hearts of us. I know he's got a hold of my wife's heart about this. She cries for that generation from time to time. Moved by it. And this is a lady that's not a teenage... Let's put it this way. She's not of that generation, okay? And neither am I, and neither are most of you. But when God gets a hold of our heart, then our prayer can be pouring out of our heart to Him. And that's... God needs us to pray. I've always... Went, why does God need us to pray? Why can't... Because God gave authority in this earth to man. And when... Adam fell, he turned that authority over the earth to Satan. So Satan's called the God of this earth in the Bible. But Jesus came back as the second Adam to win back that authority that Satan was given by Adam. So he's known as the second Adam. And where the first Adam was disobedient, the second Adam was obedient. And then when you come to Christ, we're now under his line of authority whereas the world's under Satan's line of authority that came from Adam, we're under Jesus' line of authority that comes directly from the Father. So the Father needs men and women to authorize him to do in the earth what God already wants to do, because God will not violate the authority he delegated to man. Not only delegate, he now spent the blood of his son to win it back. So He needs us to pray, but not just words. It's got to come out of our heart, and God has to touch our heart so that out of our heart will come that cry of prayer. That cry of prayer. And while I was praying in here before the service, this story came to me. It's in 1 Kings chapter 18, and it's a very, a very time of, of Israel, which was uh, not unlike where we are today, uh, although there are some parallels that don't quite light up. But th- in this case, there was a very ungodly king. His name was Ahab. And he was really controlled by his wife, Jezebel. And she had hundreds and hundreds of prophets that served her and basically prophesied what she wanted prophesied. And they were prophets of Baal. So they spoke for Satan and their people that speak for Satan today. There are prophets for Satan out in the land today. And so um, God sent a prophet, and this prophet challenges these prophets on Mount Carmel. First twenty 20, 1 Kings 18-20. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. So what's happening is the people's hearts have pulled away from God, and they're they're following and worshiping Baal, which is Satan, and, and his idols. And this is a showdown that God wants to have with the people of Israel through Elijah. So he sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then you follow him. And if Baal... Then you follow him, and the people answered, not a word. So what God is doing through the prophet here is he's forcing them to make a choice. Choose who you're going to serve. Uh, Earlier in the Bible, Joshua says that. Choose this day who you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We've got to make a choice who we're going to serve. And sometimes that choice has to be forced on us. And persecution will do that. How long will you falter or be halt between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone, I am alone left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, there's going to be a, there's going to be a showdown here. Let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for them and cut him into pieces and lay it on the wood. This is how they would do a sacrifice of worship. But put no fire under it and I will prepare the other bull and lay it on a wood and put no fire under it. So they were going to build two altars to, for, to worship. And what they would do in the practice in the old days is you would build an old, you know, the base of a fire with wood and then you would take the animal sacrifice, you'd kill it, and then you'd lay it on the altar and you'd light the fire. And the idea was that the fire would convert that bull's flesh into, into, into vapor and it would go up unto God. It was a form of worship up unto God. And the other side of it, it was the sacrifice of something valuable. That's why the writer of Hebrews talks about a sacrifice that we are to give of worship, but it's not a sacrifice of animals, it's a sacrifice of our praise, which is when we don't want to get praise, when everything's going well, when I need a second cup of coffee, when things are lousy and I just want to feel sorry for myself, and I choose to praise God anyway, that's a form of worship because it's a sacrifice. It's costing me my self-pity, it's costing me feeling sorry for myself, myself. It's costing my flesh something, not the flesh of a bull, my flesh, to give praise to a God who's worthy of it. And that's the idea. That's the concept. So what he's going to do is he's saying, you guys build your altar of wood, and then we give you, take a bull, you slay it and lay the pieces on it, and I'll do the same thing over here on the other side. Okay. And put no fire on it. Verse 24. Then you call on the name of your gods, And I will call the name of the Lord my God. And the God who answers by fire, he is the true God. So all the people answered and said, that's a good idea. That's well spoken. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, you choose a bull for yourself. In other words, you guys go first. Choose a bull for yourself and prepare it first. For you are many and call on the name of your God, but put no fire on it. So they took the bull, which was given to them, and they prepared it, and they called on the name of Baal, look at this, from morning until noon. Oh, Baal, hear us. And there was no voice, and no one answered. And they leaped about the altar that they'd made. So it was noon, and Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is God. Either he's meditating or he's busy. Actually, in the Hebrew, this is an idiom that says he may be in the John relieving himself. <laughs> or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's sleeping, and he's, so he's mocking them. He's saying, well, where is your God? I guess he's busy right now doing other things. So they cried aloud and then they cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances until the blood gushed out. They're trying to do, this is important, they're trying to do something in their flesh to make their God answer their cry. Because without their God answering their cry, the wood's dry and the animal's just dead and nothing is happening up into heaven. And so the more it doesn't work, listen carefully, the more it doesn't seem to be producing something, the harder they try. First of all, they cry out. And then they start jumping around and having a charismatic... No, I won't go there. They start jumping around and trying to work something up in their flesh, and nothing's happening. And now they start sacrificing themselves by cutting themselves And letting their blood flow out. And nothing's happening. Verse 29. And when midday had passed, they prophesied. Now they're trying to work up the spirit. They prophesied until the time of offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice. No one answered. And no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me, it's my turn. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar, and the Lord of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. So now his altar is not just made with wood, it's made with stones. And he made the trench around the altar large enough to hold two something of seeds. And he put the wood in order and cut the pieces of the bull in pieces. And he laid it on the fire and said, Fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. He's dousing the wood with water. Now I was a Boy Scout. And I wasn't all that good at building fires. But I remember one thing we were taught. Dry wood burns a, hot, a whole lot easier than wet wood. And the last thing you want to do if you're going to start a fire is to soak your wood in water. But see, Elijah's not going to be trusting in anything he can do to set this wood on fire. Elijah's going to be trusting in his God to set this wood on fire. And he knows His God can even set wet wood. Now, listen to me, even His God, not just dry wood, His God can set wet wood on fire. He could even set a wet blanket on fire. (laughs) He can set, God can set wet wood on fire. Not just, see, dry wood is the potential to catch fire there, but it needs something to kindle it. But soaked wood isn't going to catch fire just because you put some kindling of a flame underneath it. It's going to take something supernatural to set that on fire. It's going to take something that's hot enough to dry up the water first before it can set the dry wood on fire. It's going to take something from heaven to set this altar on fire. Amen. And Elijah knows that. Four water pots of water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And then he said, okay, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. He says, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So that the water ran all around the altar and it filled the trench with water. It's soaked with water. It's as if we've had a torrential downpour in the middle of trying to set a bonfire. I remember... Um, Early this summer, we were watching three of our, our three younger grandkids for the weekend. And uh, Anita, a couple of years ago, had this dream. She wanted to have a fire pit out in our backyard. And, and uh, so she bought the fire pit, but we haven't really had a fire. And she bought a couple of pieces of wood, and I tried it once, and it was okay. But um, our grandson, Jonathan, he, he loves to do things that please his grandmother, and he knew she wanted to do this. So he decided that, okay, I'm going to build a fire for her in this fire pit. And so he got it started, and it was going, you know, just beginning to smolder a little bit and get going. And he brought four chairs, three for each of the grandkids, at five, and one for you and me. And he just put a circle around it, and about that time the heavens open up and it starts pouring rain. <laughs> so here we are, because he knew this was his grandmother's dream, here are five of us sitting around this fire that's psh, 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 with umbrellas <laughs> in the pouring rain, and this fire doesn't stand a chance. All right? So I got some picture of what this must have been like. Verse 36 And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel. Well, if ever a time that our world needs to know that there's a God in Seekonk, Massachusetts, that there's a God in the Tallwood sections of Seekonk, Massachusetts, that there's a God at 95 Sagamore Road, that there's a God in New England, that there's a God here, it's now, it's today. He, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant. And I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord God, that you have turned their hearts back to you again, and then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and it licked up the fire that was, the water that was in the trench. So the fire that fell from heaven licked up the water in the trench, it melted the stones, it burned up the wood, and it burned up the carcass of that bull. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal and don't let any of them escape. This was the image I had when I was praying here this evening when we started. We're dry wood when it comes to prayer. In fact, we may be more than dry wood. We may be wet wood. Wood that's been exposed to the water that Satan has has poured water on so that there's little chance of any fire catching forth here. He loves us coming to church as long as we're wet wood. And notice Elijah didn't try to build the fire. The, the prophets of Baal tried to make the fire happen by what they did. All Elijah did is say, God, this is your issue. This isn't my issue. It's your desire to show forth yourself and show that you are God, that there is a God in Israel, that there is a God, and you are the true and the living God. And we're living in a society when there are many false gods that are being preached out there. There's the biggest God, the God of self, the God of self, the God of humanism, the God of of pride, the God of pleasure. All kinds of gods are being worshipped out there today, except the true and the living God. And in order for the true and the living God to be seen... He's got to show up, and the place he's got to show up first is he's got to show up here among his people first. And so we need fire to fall from heaven. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what it feels like. I've never seen it this way. I just know it has to happen. And so we're wet wood tonight. And so we're going to begin to to call upon God. It may not happen tonight. It may not happen next. I don't know when, but it's got to happen. It may not happen when we're here on a Wednesday night. I don't know. When it happens, how it happens, isn't my business. But this desire that's in my heart has got to begin to spread, and I believe God will spread it. I believe it will begin to catch in more than one person. i will begin to, begin to grow in me. There's an old adage, if you want to start a revival, just take the pastor and catch him on fire. Just set him on fire, and when he burns, other people will catch flame. And that's what I'm asking. God, set me on fire. Whatever that means, set me on fire, and then just let the flames spread. Let the flames of the fire spread. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a rational person. My mind is organized. This is totally against the way my mind works. But I told God two years ago, I'm ready to throw my mind out. I'm ready to not think and analyze anymore. I've got to know Jesus. I've got to know him. I've got to know him in my heart. I've got to know the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul said, I did not come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom. And boy, he could have. But I've come to you in the demonstration and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we need. That's where my heart is getting drawn towards. So we're going to just spend the time we have left right now just beginning to pray and just beginning to open our hearts and just begin to cry. Before we do that, there's a a need that we have here. At this church, we have many needs, but there's a really serious need we have here in our school. And we've lost a teacher this last week because of some changes that happened, and we need another teacher. We need God to raise up, whether it's from within here or bring in from outside, a teacher. So we're going to start in coming to God for this. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We thank you just as Jesus said to you, Father, I know that you always hear me when I pray because I know you love me and I have your heart. Uh, and I come to you tonight, we come to you too. You always hear us when we pray. Father, you've told us to ask, and we have a need here. These students, we, these students in third and fourth grade. They're precious to you. And they need a godly teacher, someone who will have a heart for them, someone who will be ready and prepared to step in and to fill in the gap and move forward. We thank you, Father, that you are right now raising somebody up. There's somebody you already have prepared. They just need to sense the call. We need to know who they are. They need to bring us together. And so, Father, we're coming to you in the name of Jesus and calling upon you. I know that our staff prayed. I know that they've called out to you, but we come together as a church and bring this need before you. Father, we need a teacher for that class, and we need that teacher now. And so we're calling upon you, Father. You are a way maker. You make the way when there is no way. You're a God who can raise the dead. You're a God who can call things into being that have never existed before. So this is not hard for you. This is not difficult for you, Father. if you 've got to make somebody on the spot, you could do that, but I believe Father there 's already somebody you 've had prepared this never caught you by off guard you 're already prepared you 're just needing us to call upon you to do what you already want to do and we 're asking you to prepare their heart to prepare the way Father, and to bring that connection together and so we give you thanks for that Father. We thank you, Father, for the right teacher. Thank you, Father, for the person who's got it right on their heart to step in and to dupe the right person to take those students to a level they've never gone to before. And we thank you. We pray for our whole school, Father. We thank you, Lord, for all the teachers. We prayed for them several weeks ago, for the students, Father. We just pray for your anointing upon this year. Lord, there's a battle for those children. There's a battle that goes on sometimes at home. There's a battle in the society. There's a battle through social media. a battle through our media, Satan is after these children, he wants to have them and we stand up for them in the name of Jesus and we declare Satan, you cannot have our students, you cannot have our children in the name of Jesus, you cannot have them, we plead the blood over every student, over every parent, for this school and for all the other schools we prayed over, but especially right now, for this is a ministry you've called us to here and we pray for those students, Father we pray for those students we call upon you to begin we call for a revival in our school father for a revival in our school I've seen that happen in a school before I've seen that happen where our children went to school in Tulsa I saw that happen father and you can do that here we're calling upon the spirit of God to begin to move in this place Lord in our classrooms in our children Lord to get sensitive to the spirit our teachers to be sensitive to the spirit father for this is not just about a natural education it's about an education of the spirit we thank you father now father i come to you as the shepherd the under shepherd that you put in this church at this time and i stand before you father to admit to you lord we're not where we need to be in prayer and this is something you put in my heart a number of years ago and we've just not done that and Father, we've tried different programs, but it's not a program we need. It's the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God. We don't just invite Him. We desperately need Him to take this wet wood that we are. The potential's here, Lord. The, the wood is the potential. The wood of the fire is the potential, Lord. But we need to be ignited. We need to be set on fire by Your Spirit in our time together of a prayer. We need for this to grow so that, that Wednesday nights turn maybe into a prayer session just an ongoing prayer session Lord maybe nights that just go on and on and on whatever it is you have in mind Father we call upon you we can't do that in our strength we can't do that in our wisdom we can't do that with programs we can't even do it with words it takes the spirit of God to reach into our hearts and to touch the need and the desire in our hearts and Father we're asking you to do that we're asking you to do that we're asking you to do that that. asking you to do that open our eyes may we become dissatisfied with where we are may we wake up and realize that we're where we're lukewarm especially in our prayer life where we we get up on days and think well i don't have time to pray which means i don't need you today i can coast today on what i did yesterday help us to realize how desperately we need you and how desperately we need your spirit every moment of every day in our work even in our play we need your Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. And we need him to lead us and to guide us into prayer. We need us to lead us and to guide us in prayer. We thank you, Lord. 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 This is not this is not father. This is not to show anything about me or this church. This is not to promote Faith Christian Center, but this is to demonstrate and show that you are God. You are the true and the living God. There is no other God but you, and that you are real, that you are tangible, that you are mighty and that you're powerful. And you are gracious and you are kind, but you are real. The gifts of the Spirit, Father, you've given them, Lord, you've given them to the church to manifest yourself to manifest that you're real and that you're here to manifest what you're like Lord, we ask you to show forth the gifts of the Spirit, Lord Lord, in the past we may have shied away because we're afraid of something that's crazy or something that looks foolish but Lord, we've, we, we need to work flow in the gifts of the Spirit and not be afraid Lord, help us to be open help us to be open help us to be open Help us to be open. Help us to be open. Help us to be open. Lord, as, as, as couples in this church come together to pray for their families and for their needs, Lord, may that spirit of prayer begin to grasp them. Lord, wake people up in the middle of the night and just help them realize they need to pray. Help us to be sensitive to your spirit when it's time to pray and there's a need to pray for somebody else. Lord, to be sensitive, Lord. To Be sensitive to your spirit. We cannot do it ourselves. We cannot do it without Your Holy Spirit. The church was birthed by the Holy Spirit. The church has been preserved by the Holy Spirit. The church has been guided by the Holy Spirit. We can't do it without the Holy Spirit. We can't do it without the Holy Spirit. We desperately, 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 desperately need Him. We desperately, desperately need Him. Thank 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 You, Lord. 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 Yes, 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 yes. Yes, whatever that is, move it. Whatever needs to be moved out of the way, Lord, move it out of the way. Yes, Lord, whatever that is that needs to be moved out of the way, move it. Move it, Lord. Make way. Make a way, make a way, make a way for your spirit. Make a way for him to have free reign. Make a way, Lord, make a way, make a way. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Yes, 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 yes. Signs and wonders. Miracles. Demonstration of the power of the spirit. Yes, Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Fire of the spirit. Fire of the holy spirit. Purifies, cleanses. Yes, Lord, yes, 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 yes. Thank you, Lord. 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 While we were praying for the school, I felt the Lord bring back to my remembrance an experience that our two older children had when we were in Oklahoma. They were in a Christian school, and the school was like our school here. It was in the church. But the way it was set up was the school wasn't downstairs. The church was all on one floor. The classrooms were literally around the sanctuary. And there was a one day, because our oldest son, Chris, who's our executive here, was in... Fifth grade. Fifth grade there. And one of the students in his class went to the teacher because they were praying at the start of school. They were praying in their classroom. When they finished praying and they were ready to get into the lessons, the student came up to the teacher and she said, I just think we need to go into the sanctuary and pray for a little bit. And the teacher, to their credit, didn't had the attitude, well, I'm the teacher. You're just a fifth grader. The teacher, something witnessed with them, said, all right, let's do that. So the fifth grade class went into the sanctuary and just started praying. And the Spirit of God began to move among those students. And pretty soon, other classes started coming in and joining them. And they were on their face just interceding. These are kids in a school interceding. And they did that for several hours. And then it was over, and they went back to their class. I got home that day and discovered that was the very day that John Hinckley tried to assassinate President Reagan. Now, what you may not realize is that every president since Abraham Lincoln that's been elected at the beginning of a decade has died in office. All the way through, you can trace him. Ronald Reagan was elected in 1980, the beginning of a decade. And Satan tried to kill him. And I believe, at least in part, because these kids were sensitive enough to pray. Because they were praying against something. They knew they were praying against something. There was a specific thing they were coming against, and they didn't know what it was. But the, and, and I would not be surprised if there were others, many others, praying in other parts of the country. But the Spirit of God knew what Satan's plan was and was looking for people to pray. And they had to be sensitive enough to say, I know i got things to do, and I don't know what this means, but I'm going to at least step out. And then when they stepped out, the Holy Spirit was able to come together and join together with them and focus them, but without that first step. So a lot of times things in the Spirit start with a natural step, and then it's a step of faith, and then the Holy Spirit kind of steps in and engages you with it. And so if you wait there waiting for goosebumps, you know, you may be sitting a long time. And I'm convinced, because it was, the, it was at the exact same time that Hinckley tried, and, the, and he, he hit him, but he should have killed him, and he didn't. So prayer works. But it's prayer led by the Spirit together, and that's what we're looking for. So if kids can do that, we ought to be able to be sensitive enough to do that. Amen? Praise the Lord. Well, we'll continue along these lines next week. We'll just see how God leads us. Right now, we're going to, uh, before we receive the Lord.